Welcome to Dragon Talk! Yay! Yeah! The yeah. official Dungeons & Dragons podcast is here coming at you. I'm Greg Tito, co-host with Shelly Mazzanobel. That's her over there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like we should turn this into a, uh, you know, morning I, commute radio show. I was going to say, you had a little like morning DJ tone going on there. I was I was picking up what you were throwing down. I like it. Yeah, yes, that's what we're doing here. Greg Tito. We've got an amazing show for you today, talking with Indrani Gonguli, a amazing uh, TTRPG community leader, uh, one, uh, prolific D&D player, and dice maker. Oh. So many amazing things. Um, she is the co-founder of a group called Desis and Dragons, uh, which combines uh, folks from the country of India, Bangladeshi, uh, and Pakistani folks into getting them into playing Dungeons and Dragons, where there's not a huge community uh, historically, and she's growing it um, uh, along with her uh, co-founders, um, and they they have a really great Discord. So we'll talk all about that as well as dice and skincare. I hope so. I I do need to get some new tips and tricks for the skincare game. <laughs> a lich of my age doesn't stay youthful like this forever. Shelly, you've got 99 problems, but being a <laughs> lich ain't one. <laughs> well, we're also excited about a new release that's coming for Dungeons & Dragons. Bigby Presents Glory of the Giants is out, available for pre-order right now. It is a big book that has big in the title as well as a large number of giants lore, giants to throw against your players, giant animals, uh, so many giant things. It also has like one of the biggest bestiaries ever. Like yeah. huge, like a lot of new monsters. It's so a giant your thing, you're going to love it. It is giant size. It is Be giant. giant. Um, yeah, the amount of, uh, it's kind of like, you know, Fizzband's Treasury of Dragons, but now with giants. So you have giant layers, you've got all the different uh, types of dragons, uh, the six of the Ordning, about the Ordning itself. And um, I love that there's, of course, Bigby, uh, the mage that you may have known from such spells as, uh, you know, Bigby's hand. Um, is the person speaking uh, in throughout this. But as well, there's a giant goddess who is a voice as her, uh, she is a guide throughout the uh, the book. And I love that there's, you know, we find out about the ordning and how it all, and how it all began. Yes. So lots of good stuff in there. Yeah. If you have played through Storm King's Thunder, you know what I'm talking about with the ordning there. Um, but it is how the social order of giants split up amongst the fire giants and the stone giants and, all of the different <laughs> categories there. Um, the but now there's genres. undead versions of each one of those characters uh, and monsters that you can throw at your at your characters. So watch out there. My favorite is the giant animals, though. There are I giant know. animals in there. It's I really want cool. one. <laughs> Just for my friend. Just to hang out. Maybe I could get one as a familiar. <sighs> I like it. You know? If I was your DM, I would say Roll. Your die to figure out if that's possible or not. Hang on. Yeah. Three. 
Mm, sorry. <laughs> Try again. You've got instead you've got a miniature giant dog as you're familiar. Oh, I feel like I did have a miniature <laughs> giant dog as a foster not too long ago. <laughs> My little Chihuahua mutt. She had she definitely had big dog personality and a small dog body. Woof woof. Yeah. 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 She barked that that low pitched. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, that's it. That's your familiar um, because right. of your your roll of a three. We'll make it happen. I'll, I'll take it. Um, but speaking of dice and math rocks, I think it's time to speak to our guest, Indrani. Let's uh, get her calling all the way from India. Let's welcome Indrani Gongali to Dragon Talk. Yay! This is lovely. What a great welcome. Thank you for having me. <laughs> well, thank you for being our guest. And we know you're basically calling from the middle of the night in the future. But this is you're... true. <laughs> Dark times lie ahead of you. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Today's not a good day. I'm going the back to bed. The bright orb of the sun will go down <laughs> at the end of this day. Bring uh, tidings to the future. But. <laughs> Thank you for well, me. we're excited to chat with you about all of the amazing things you're doing within the uh, TTRPG space. You are uh, a co-founder of Desis and Dragons, uh, a wonderful uh, tabletop community in a whole other part of the world. Uh, I can't. I have so many questions about that. Uh, but I know Shelley was really interested in the dice that you are making oh. uh, and and the designs of of all of those beautiful math rocks. Yes. We all love shiny math rocks. I think like every person I speak to becomes instantaneous friends with me when they find out that I make dice. Because like, I think there's just this universal appeal to like shiny little candy looking mm-hmm. dice that you use for playing games. I think it's great. I, I love making them. And I'm happy to answer any questions you might have about them. Want to dig into the dice? Should we just go there? Let's I know there's it. so many things to talk about. But okay, first of all, how... Maybe let's start a little bit before the dice, because I yes. imagine before you get interested in making uh, dice, you probably had an interest in RPGs. So correct. how did that happen? Let's start about what's your origin story? Okay. Oh, my God. We're going to go way back to okay. like 2010. <laughs> All right. Let me set the scene. I'm 10 years old. My parents have given me access to the internet and they don't understand what parental control is. So I stumble across um, role-playing communities on the internet, um, chat-based role-playing communities where people are like, you know, setting games in like Star Wars and and, and Naruto and like back then Harry Potter and and all, all of these different like properties. And I was really interested in all of these different fandoms and became like a like a really, really integral member of these communities to the point where I was running them eventually. But I basically <laughs> like had a big love for creating characters and telling stories set in these worlds since the age of like 10, 11. And by the time I was 16, wow. I was like, all right, I need to have a personality beyond this. So I was like, time to let this go. But the um, the sort of bug of role-playing, wanting to have that activity be a part of my life, just always stayed. And then a friend of mine, his name is Shubham Mehta, he is one of the co-founders of Desis and Dragons. He came back from South Africa where he had grown up and um, he was like, you know, back there I used to play this game, it was called Dungeons and Dragons. 
I would love to start playing with you folks. And we put a group together and we started playing and he bought me my first set of dice. And um, there were these like, you know, generic, really beautiful ones I hold dear, but like pretty generic. And I had always wanted to be like um, a collector, like somebody who collects things like you know people who collect stamps and coins but I was like I don't want to do that I want to collect something but I never really figured out what that would be until like he handed me those beautiful mm. seven pieces of resin and I was like this this is it I want more oh. of these in my life but because Dungeons and Dragons and tabletop role-playing games in general were not that big here in India back when we started playing in like 2016 2017 um, the ones available to me on like Amazon or locally were like really basic ones. And yeah. I was like, I want prettier ones. And I can see that there are prettier ones on the internet, but I can't afford those because those are like hundreds of dollars and I don't have that money. So I was like, I'll make them myself. How hard could it be? And um, spoiler alert, it was pretty hard. But <laughs> at that point, I was like in too deep sunk cost fallacy so you know i just kept going and uh here we are i started making dice you're like I, i'm all in i'm pushing all my 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 pieces of resin into the crucible how do you do, is it, it's it's like a mold right you it, it's 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 right. actually so, yeah yeah the process actually begins with like uh 3d modeling my dice have a custom font and they have a custom symbol on the 20 side right um, which is Geralt, my my wizard's familiar. Um, but so the process starts when I design them as a 3D object and then I 3D print them on a resin printer. Mm. And I post-process those dyes into getting them to look like literal glass. And once they're like super shiny, those masters are what I use to make silicone molds. And those molds are what I pour epoxy resin into with like colors and flowers and additives and all of those things to like make the final dice. That's usually, oh. that's like a very oh. simplified process, but yeah. That is amazing. But how did you even learn how to do this? Was it just looking things up and trial and error? Yeah, I've always been someone who like, I absorb information really quickly. Like if someone's like, I don't know about this, I will start looking up resources and information, even if it's like scattered and like in piece, bits and pieces across the internet. Like I can just like focus and, and soak all of that information into my head. And it's just this weird thing that I've been able to like, you know, utilize over the years. So I was like, I'm going to figure this out. And <laughs> I learned about how epoxy resin works and how, you know, pressurizing epoxy resin works and how silicone molds work and this and that. And then I pieced that together. Um, but now what's cool is that there's so many creators who are making dice, who are making content about how to make dice that it's like, I think much more easy to get into it these days because there's a lot more like straightforward resources available. So if anybody's looking to get started, now's a good time. Amazing. That's awesome. But it I reminds me a lot. Yes. Please go. I was just going to say, it reminds me a lot of the D&D community in general, right? Where it's like taking a lot of yeah. sources of information from different parts of the internet, from the different source books that are out there to the different companies who are creating things and be like, no, I'm going to make my game about this and I'm going to take it from all these sources as well as all the different people who come to the table 
are doing that exact same thing and synthesizing it and then making it into the narrative that you're creating there. It's funny that you just kind of did that from from all of those different sources to be like, all right, now this is how I make dice. Many people make make dice similarly, but also different. It's going to be different from each person who does it. 100%. Yeah. Shubham, my first GM, like he's like, my games are just like a mishmash of all my favorite media. And I'm like, you know <laughs> what? I'm here for it. Yeah, like, it should be. Yeah. So th- that's kind of what it was, like just piecing together. Like It was like a puzzle, right? Getting different pieces, putting them together and being like, now here's the whole picture. Um, it's, it's, it's great. It's a fun process. But That's also really dangerous, cool. please, whoever is listening is like, oh, I want to do this. Use safety gear because epoxy resin is, at the end of the day, toxic material and needs to be oh, dealt with. I did not know that. Yeah. It's, wow. It's, is it like the type of thing where if you mix two things, you can create some kind of gas or is it just on well, your hands? Yeah. So when you mix two things, like uh, the, it's like a two-part liquid, right? You mix them in, at different ratios according to like, which resin you're using and like it creates these fumes that if you are exposed to without protection over a long period of time you will develop um uh allergic reactions to it some people like get skin reactions to it and like basically become fully intolerant to epoxy resin so to avoid those things you need to use like um, vapor masks that are rated for epoxy resin and nitrile gloves and have like a really ventilated space don't let kids in don't let pets in don't let like you know anybody without protection into the space that you're working in it's wow yeah, it's it's pretty hardcore. Like there are days where I am working on dice and no one else is home and someone's at the door and need to open the door and they will like I'll walk out with the, this massive gas mask. <laughs> You're on like my a beekeeper, face. like, you know? <laughs> yeah, like a little bit beekeeper, a little bit Walter White. I was just gonna say <laughs> a little a little Walter White accent. <laughs> yeah, I, I have had like delivery people just give me a look like are you doing something illegal that's going on? None of your business. Walk away. Just walk, walk away. No, really, it's just uh, RNG creators for a, a role-playing game, not drugs, I, <laughs> say, I swear. I promise. Likely story. Likely story. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Goodbye. <laughs> By the way, you wanted, the first is free. The first set of dice is free, delivery person. That's you gotta come like, back like, if you I want more. Like, a trench coat. Like, like, hey, you want some dice? <laughs> Uh, I think it's I worth that. noting that you're the first handmade dice creator in India. Am I, I getting that right? I do the best of my knowledge. That is true. That's I have amazing. scoured the internet for for like any other dice maker out of India and I just could not find anybody. And eventually we were like, are you like the first? And I was like, I guess I am. Um, <laughs> but so until somebody comes out and challenges me on it, yes, I will take that mantle up. It is, it is um, a cool thing to be able to say to people, like, I'm the first person who did this. But um, uh, yeah. now there's a lot more like folks who actually like reached out to me and were like, hey, how do I get started? And like started making their own dice sets as well. And it's great to be able to like draw other folks into the hobby it's just like with you know any tabletop game right when you are when you enjoy something it's it's super fun to like just draw more people into it so it's been cool to do that with like dice making as well but yeah well like like you said everybody loves accessories 
and this is yes. this is the way to do it. There's so many beautiful, beautiful designs. Your D4 is a really interesting shape in some of them. Some of them is the traditional pyramid, but mm-hmm. some are not. Some are not. Some are like, I, I love the caldrop. Don't get me wrong. It's, it's great, <laughs> but it is finicky. It's sometimes difficult to pick up. Yeah. I have uh, many feelings about the caldrop. So um, there are these alternate shapes, like we call them crystals and gems because they have that mm-hmm. sort of crystalline like appearance to them. Um, yeah. They roll fairly and, and that's usually something I get asked a lot and they always fall on the right face. So um, yeah, I, I like experimenting with like shapes and, and aesthetics and like my dice are also like slightly oversized because I like having them like feel a little chunkier than like tiny so yeah, yeah a lot of customization you can do when you're literally designing and 3d printing an object like it's 3d printing is like magic to me <laughs> just let me print a physical object like we're in the future the future is now something yeah, yeah it's like being replicated like in star trek right like it's just like you're yep. creating something from nothing <laughs> it's amazing and then do you paint the uh, the numbers after yes. they go through that process that's a oh. hand painting thing Yeah. So after I pull them out of the silicone mold, I have to do another round of post-processing to like get rid of any scuffs or marks that might be on those faces. And once I've done that, that's when I use like acrylic paints to um, sort of fill in the um, voids where the numbers are and, and sort of clean the surface to get that ink in. That's usually the last part of the process. And then and then I take like pretty photographs and I put them up on the internet. They're also beautiful. The photography yeah, is beautiful. And that's beautiful. not easy to do either. I just feel yeah, like that was this, a learning curve. Yeah, a lot of learning. But I just feel like I when I just need to relax, I think I'm just going to come to this page on your website and just look at all your beautiful designs. They're just so, oh, just beautiful. A lot of Art. them, thank you so much. But a lot of them are actually pulled from like my D&D games. Like... Um, games that I play with uh, my friends when certain story beats happen I'm like oh I wonder what this moment in our campaign this this beat this story this emotion would look like if I translated it into like a dice set so um, a lot of them like lore attached to them and usually I'll share a little bit of that with people as well Um, it's yeah there's so it's almost like an extension of storytelling for me, you know, cheesy as that sounds. No, it's like you know, people who will draw certain scenes from their campaigns or, you know, any kind of art medium. This is just like a really interesting way to to kind of codify something that happens in game with a visual. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And it's like, you know, I synthesize something that like it, freezes this moment in time for me yeah. right and then i can keep using it in the game and it's fun i love the process but so if yeah. somebody were to commission could they then get say like this here's something that happened in game this is a moment in time that would you be able to be like okay this is how i'm picturing it and a hundred percent i've actually Ooh. done that for a lot of people who've come to me with like um this aesthetic the story that they have like there were these colors in this scene and and I'll take elements from that and like how do I not only visually but also just through themes and colors and and like um design aesthetics represent that 
Um, and it's it's a lot of fun, like going back and forth with people who commission dice, trying to figure out what appeals to them and what fits their version of the story and my version of the story and like finding that sort of yeah. like the Venn diagram and the... That's super cool. Like what a, what a cool gift to give someone. Mm. Like you're either, you know, your dungeon master or somebody in the party of like commemorative commission dice that represent a key moment in your in your game. That would be so yeah, cool. It, it, it's really incredible to like be able to make that for people. Somebody actually commissioned a set of dice for their partner for their wedding day gift. And oh, that's really they, nice. They just told me what the colors of their wedding like the theme of their wedding was going to be and like I made a set that matched that theme and it was like this it, it's so special I'm like wow you get to keep this forever and I get to play a tiny role in in your like the rest of your life right yes. you, will see this you remember it so it's it's special yeah people use many sources of inspiration when they come to me with commissions it's great that's we should um, we should petition for Hallmark to make the twentieth anniversary of weddings should be dice from now on, right? We should just we give the yes. gift of dice on yes. the twentieth. Yes, us up. We will make it happen. Actually, sure. every year everyone should just be giving dice, <laughs> not the, just the twentieth. Every the, year out there, I love the that, and I love that the commemorative moment, right? The idea that like it has storytelling and and people I, I've known people who like when they start to c- become dice collectors it'll be like oh this is the dice set that I use for this character or like this is yes. the dice yeah. that I use for this character and they mean something to them even though they're all gonna you know roll randomly the same amount but it feels different mm-hmm. for some reason 100% like people have like dice palettes where we, they'll be like these are the five sets I use when I play this character and and there's this um, almost ritualistic element to it and like I am generally an agnostic person, right? I don't buy into a lot of these practices. But when I'm playing games, I'm like so superstitious. I have a little <laughs> like timeout section for my dice. Yeah. I have like my pre-game ritual. I'm like, okay, let me roll all the D20s for this game and see which ones perform best. And those will be a part of my palette today. I so, do that too. Uh, yep. Yeah. Classic. Same with me. Whoever doesn't, I don't understand you. Like, how are you playing with one set of dice, or 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 how do you trust your dice implicitly? (laughs) Accountable. You're like, I'm completely atheist and I don't believe in astrology, but damn, this this die is never going to be used by me again. I will sage my dice. I there was a conference room in our office that was like kind of hidden. It was a door in a different conference room, and Mm -hmm. somebody named it the bad dice room. And like, if your dice were not doing well, you could just chuck them in the room. And I remember playing D&D with somebody. We were in that conference room that had access to the bad dice room. And he got so angry. His dice were just not rolling well at all. And he just scooped them up, flung that door open and just went whack and threw all the dice in the bad dice room and slammed the door behind him. And then just like sat back down. (laughs) That sounds really. Pulled out another set of dice. I I think it was, but I remember like six years later or so, like going into the bad dice room because that was also Greg where we stored like extra swag and stuff. Do you remember? Oh, okay. So it was the yawning portal room. Yeah. No, it was like on the fourth floor. It was a different one. Okay. But but we. I went at the Bellevue office. This is at the Renton office. We. I remember going in that room like years later, and I saw like 
dice scattered on the floor, like poke, <laughs> poking out from like under some of the shelves. I'm like, I think those are Adam's dice. I don't think he ever came back for those dice. I think they were just, they've just been sitting in time. They live in the bad dice room. Six years. <laughs> but it's probably filled. There's probably corners in that room filled with bad dice. But that room seriously will need a, a big old saging. When we, I when we leave love there. that. I would steal those dice and like people I don't like stuff those dice in their pockets or something. I know. Just I kind like, of feel bad. bad like I almost want to like just take them and just be like, it's okay. Like we're going to rehab you and like bring you, bring back the goodness that I know is within you. <laughs> that is far more empathetic and I am going to try to adopt this approach in life. So I kind of like your approach too though. <laughs> Tuck a, tuck a bad a bad D twenty into someone's pocket yeah. when they're not looking. <laughs> like reverse pickpocket and be like, here, here's some bad luck. We, you know, we're not going to steal from you the good things. We're just going to put bad things in your pockets. Yeah, yeah. Just like may you only roll natural ones. <laughs> may the dice never be in your favor. Never. And so you said the symbol that's on here is your your character is familiar. Yes, uh, the the mascot of Nonagon Dice, which is what my dice making business and my general brand is called. Um, his name is Geralt. He is a fey owl, and mm. my head canon is that um, Geralt is like I play a lot of wizards. I'm a I'm a spellcaster at heart, me and too. wizards are the best, and and nobody can tell me otherwise. Um, <laughs> And every time I play a wizard, of course, I pick up Find Familiar and my incl- like my head canon is that Geralt is the same fae like creature who across different timelines and multiverses and generations has supported all of the wizards that I've played in different campaigns and games. Aww. So he's like this theme that sort of like ties all of them together. Um, I even have like a tattoo of oh, getting no oh my gosh yeah you're really always special. carrying him with you yeah exactly yeah. so i agree about spellcasters uh um, they are the best 100 percent. and wh- whenever i try to not play a spellcaster like i should just try something else i'm always just kind of disappointed well <laughs> yeah it's i feel exactly the same way i was um at one of the presentations that Wizards of the Coast were um, doing about like what's coming next in Dungeons and Dragons and the rulebook updates and whatnot. Um, and, and they were talking about how they're improving martial classes with like, you know, giving them more flavor and more ways of engaging um, in combat. And I was like, that's awesome. It, it was literally like Chris Perkins and Jeremy Crawford talking about what they're doing, going to be doing differently and changing. And I was like, that's great. I'm still just going to play a wizard. Right. right. <laughs> Happy for Still not you. a wizard. Still not a spellcaster. Still right. not a spellcaster. Maybe they'll gum up to your level. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. It, it's, it's really funny. So I have to tell you the story. Um, do you know or remember the lore master? The unearthed arcana wizard subclass yes yeah okay it never made it to the official books i think a version of it did uh order of scribes mm-hmm. however when i first like started playing i didn't understand the difference between unearthed arcana material and official material so i came across this subclass which by the way is incredibly broken because <laughs> it's like you can change 
the the element type of any spell you cast at will no matter how how many times you do it you can just keep doing it and like you can expend an additional spell slot to like make a spell you know go a mile away and and just like incredibly insane stuff and um i didn't know that this was not official so i went to my gm and i was like hey can i play this subclass like not knowing that how broken it was and <laughs> he, he was like yeah totally fine um oh. seems like it's on the dnd wiki so it must be real um and <laughs> i was like cool and then i played it and when i was rolling stats this wizard character of mine had like 24 intelligence so like i was crazy broken on on day one of of like level one character who was just doing all sorts of insane things and later we learned what unearthed arcana meant and and my <laughs> gm was like hey maybe you could switch to um order of scribes you know it's like the 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 official version of this class and and maybe you like it i'm like no i'm good <clears throat> and i literally went like looking for why it never made it to um the books and there's a tweet somewhere by Jeremy which is like it is not happening forget about it lore master is done oh. and <laughs> and it's it was really funny cuz a few months ago i saw jeremy and we were out getting food and i was like i need to tell you this <laughs> despite what you think there are still people out there people like me who believe in the lore master and who <laughs> still to this day play a lore master he's like oh my god this is crazy but um, <laughs> yeah once you unleash it you can't you can't put that back i had right. a taste of power and yes. i was going to give it up <laughs> no it was not happening i love that you were like there's still people the lore master lives on you <laughs> can't on. stop me it why does that remind me of the my daughter of who's like, well, my mom said I could do X. So that means I can do this forever <laughs> now. As long as, like, once you have the permission, it's very hard as the other parent. And Jeremy is trying to take away all that power yeah. that he gave you. We're like, no, 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 we can't do that no. now. And he's like, but mom said, the UA said that I can do it. <laughs> I, can, I can do it. I'll do it. Literally, my my dear was like, hey, look at this tweet by literally the person who wrote this saying that it's not coming. And I was like, I don't care. <laughs> No, yeah, that's cool. I, that genie is out of that bottle. Yeah, yeah comes to it. <laughs> Can't stuff it back in. Um, what? What is? What two questions? What's the highest level spellcaster you've ever played? I have. Okay, so I have hmm. played a level twenty-seven. What? Version. Excuse and, me. Uh, yes, exactly. <laughs> um, and there are these homebrewed levels out there called epic levels. I don't know yeah. if you've um, come across them, but it's it's like, what do you do when you reach level 20 and you've had a taste of level 20? Like, what do you do when your characters surpass that? So me and a couple of our friends, like we were like, let's create some insanely crazy characters. And our GM, he came up with spells. He came up with these ridiculous monsters. And just, we had a blast being like, I could wipe out a planet in the blink of an eye, <laughs> but I won't because I'm a nice person sort of uh, character. I played a druid, which which counts as a spellcaster, right? Yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah. Didn't play a wizard, but I did play a level 27 druid. It was super fun. 27? Okay. That's cool. Well, yeah. No, I have seen those. Um, there's a bunch of them up on DM's Guild of like, what do you yeah. do? 20, 20 to 30, 30 to yes. 40. If you want to just keep adding content. 
Yep. I love that about tabletop games is that there is no... Because, I mean, obviously there's a lot of thought that goes into game design and as a game designer myself, like I understand that. But in when it comes to creating for tabletop games, it is so much like the barrier of entry is lower, right? Because all you need to really do is like understand the system you're working in and and build on top of it. It's just writing, right? So because I, as someone who works in my day job in video games and also in tabletop as a game designer, it's like I see the two different sort of worlds that games can look like right it's such a like to make a video game it's this massive pool that requires hundreds of people sometimes smaller teams but it's such a big barrier that you need to cross to be able to create something but with tabletop it's like i'm just gonna write something and i'm gonna play with a bunch of friends and it's gonna be great and um i think that's really special and like places like dn's guild and and drive through all of these just I love just browsing people's works and being like, I never thought of that. That's brilliant. Just, yeah. yeah. And it, and it doesn't matter if it's broken because it's only going to be at your table, right? Like, and it's only exactly. broken if you're not having fun. I think if it, exactly. the, the word broken means if it was, uh, you know, over the medium and everyone's games, it may end up being less fun. Yeah. But if you're just doing it for your group and everyone agrees to the parameters that you've set out in that thing, you're like, why not? Sure, I'll be... Level 45 and decimate entire galaxies with my spells now. Yeah, 100%. It's, yeah. it's, it's great. Super fun. I, you know, for what it's worth, the people who were playing, who still play, I still play this character who's the lower pastor, were like, we hate you, but we love <laughs> this. So um, it's, it's always funny to do insane things in game and everybody's like, that's so cool. Yeah, yeah. that's what it's for. I like, Greg, what you said. It's it's only broken if you're not having fun. 100%. That's really good, Greg. Oh, we'll put that 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 in book number two. (laughs) Yeah, I'll teach you. There you go. What was your second spellcasting question, Shelly? I don't know now. I feel like the level 27 thing just really blew my mind. (laughs) I don't know. Well, Moving I was going to ask, go back to your, uh, uh, you know, how you got started on on online chat rooms and building communities. Eventually, you were leading them. You said at age twelve, you know, I, I like how right. did that work? We don't and talk about I, that. Yeah, no, we don't <laughs> talk about that. <laughs> well, we'll talk about that in the context of how you. Do, I mean, I imagine those skills that you learn there, you eventually apply to building communities in the in the TRBG space in India, right? Yeah, exactly. Like it. When I sort of graduated from these communities, I was like, oh, I've picked up skills that I did not think will come into play later in life, but they do. Um, and that's that's literally how we got started. Like me, my friend Shabham and Chirag, we were like, oh, we love this game. But the biggest community there is, is a WhatsApp group with like 60, 70 people and everybody knows each other. And more people should be doing this. More people should get to experience this. And how do we facilitate that? And that's kind of where Daisies and Dragons was born. Was It was this way of like inviting more people into the fold. And now we have like over 1,500 people wow. who are part of our community. And, and, and that number can seem small, but from where we started to where we are, it's, it's pretty amazing. And so it's something I'm really proud of. And 
credit where it's due, right? It's not just me. It's both Shubham, Chirag, our moderators, everybody who helps us like run events, run game jams, you know, introduce people to tabletop games at large and just create this space. All of us, like, I think I've done a lot of work in in creating something that is important, I think, to a lot of us. Not just because it's a place where we get to be nerds and like explore a new hobby together, but also because the season dragons is like so outwardly queer and so outwardly like very vocal in its support for marginalized people in India and just in South Asia. Because, you know, the country that I'm in right now, like a lot of people are being radicalized and, and you know, we have a very right-leaning government. And so... Mm. It's it's very difficult as as like young marginalized people to feel like you belong in spaces or feel like you need to hide. So creating Daisies and Dragons and being like unabashedly queer and unabashedly neurodivergent and unabashedly like, you know, anti-bigotry, it's it's come to mean a lot to a lot of us. So I'm very proud of the work we've done. Yeah. That's exciting. And I think that um railing against those types of uh, uh, systems of government and systems of, of, of racism out there is very much in the DNA of Dungeons and Dragons, right? Because you basically, that's so many of the narratives that we like to uh, to participate in is going on a quest to get the item to destroy the tyrannical government that's, you know, uh, <laughs> you know doing all these things, right? Like that's just such a basic storyline that everybody kind of starts their D&D career with and, and, and keeps going. And I just think uh, bringing in all of the um, folks from different backgrounds, from the different marginalized communities to, to have representatives in that storytelling is empowering. Even though it's only at your table or in, or in the community, it can feel... The same as if you are fighting, um, you know, these real things and maybe even give you the inspiration to fight against uh, uh, stuff in your in your actual society, right? 100%. I think that, you know, everybody who games is like everybody who plays tabletop role-playing games, whether it's D&D or whether it's any other TTRPG is playing, is, is, is escaping into a world that they want to be right like it's 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 whether it's like utopian for them or whether it's a broken world that they are fixing right and that that fantasy like empowers people to sort of replicate that in their real lives and i think like it's done that for me right like a lot of the times when i'm struggling with xyz <laughs> i'll be like what would my character do, right? What would somebody who in my brain is cooler and stronger and more powerful, but who is just a figment of my imagination and, and, and um, you know, in part my creation, what would this entity do and how do I emulate that in life? And I think all sorts of tabletop games have the ability to like let people, you know, be their best selves. So for sure. That's awesome. Um, and Desi's and Dragons is a online community only, or is it is it through? Have you have physical events as well? So the Season Dragons is primarily an online community. It is a Discord server, and it is not like restricted to people from India or people from South Asia. It's open to like folks across the globe, and and it is a place where not only are we building a local community, we're also bridging, you know, the sort of 
physical distances between the communities in the West and the communities here in the global South. So, uh, yeah, it, it's primarily a Discord server. However, you know, there are other communities here in India that are doing like in-person events like Panic Not, which is a community that does like, um, well, before the pandemic, they were doing in-person like gaming sessions and uh, Reroll in Bangalore, which also does like D&D nights um, every now and then. So it what I am a big believer of is that especially when a community is still at its infancy, when it's so nascent, when it's like a fledgling community, um, I, I find it better to empower like structures that already exist instead of trying to reinvent it and just have like multiple fractured things. And I think there's space for that when you reach a level of like critical mass but I think we're at the stage where if I see someone else doing something we're not doing I'm like okay how do I use my resources and our resources to support you Mm -hmm. so you know we've tried to focus on building this online space but we have like friends who are running other organizations who are doing in-person things and we're like how do we support you we'll we'll talk about it in our community spaces we'll direct people to them if they want you know to attend events like these so um, it's it's like this really interdependent, supportive ecosystem that's like forming. And it's, you know, interesting to watch how it is evolving and like have a little bit of um, say in how we can, you know, nudge it in like in the directions it can go. Um, so it, it's, we do a little bit of that, but we primarily exist as an online space. Yeah. That's fascinating because I think there was a lot of, you know, 50 years ago when when Dungeons and Dragons came out of the wargaming community and came into this, it was similarly incised, right? There were not that many people who were who were playing Dungeons and Dragons and it was really just through the word of mouth and the small localized cities. Uh, and this was before online, uh, but there was a lot of, you know, mail and <laughs> uh, snail yep. mail that was happening. That was the correspondence between people in different cities. And I feel like we've changed a lot uh, by obviously by having an online option for people but at the same time it's it's very similar where people are like oh you're doing something cool let me let me plus one what you're doing and and talk about it in in amongst the the you know hundred or so or dozens of people that I communicate more regularly on and then those grow and then eventually those little Venn diagrams start to overlap right and it becomes one larger community but there's actually exactly small little communities that are just meeting each other and talking and exchanging yeah. ideas hundred percent. And and what's great about, you know, being a part of this is that there isn't like this sense of competition. Everybody's just trying mm-hmm. to, the larger goal for everyone is the same is to like bring more people into this hobby, right? Find ways to help people feel welcome. And, you know, we all work in what everything we do, we do in service of that. And, um, it's it's great to like not feel like you need to do everything by yourself because there's someone else taking care of it, right? So it's 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 really special, and I'm excited to see what the next five years look like for us. Because you know we've gone from tiny WhatsApp groups to Daisies and Dragons, which is you know got over a thousand five hundred people in it, and and you know people are now 
you know, becoming game designers themselves. They're like doing game jams. They're writing for people. They're getting scholarships to attend Big Bad Con and, you know, just be a part of like the larger community. And like, I want to see how this integration happens and how like our voices are heard with the larger community and how that network builds. Um, I think it's going to be really fascinating to just observe and participate. What do you think? I mean, I, I think 1,500 people sounds like a lot of people, especially when you're, when you're talking <laughs> yeah. about that like, you haven't been doing this for that long. But what do you think is your, like the, the driving growth factor? Was, was it like just a lack of awareness in general or was it really a lack of visibility and like seeing yourself in this community well, or something um, else? There are a couple of different factors. The ones you mentioned are, they do play a part in it. Um, you know, I I don't want to speak for every South Asian kid, but I can speak for like the ones I've been able to communicate with and myself is that um, access is difficult when the barriers to entry are so high. Um, and what I mean by that is that, you know, tabletop role-playing games are not that prevalent in India, partially because they're not available to an Indian audience. Um, it is difficult for Indian people to purchase um, tabletop RPG books, including D&D, right? Like, single book... <laughs> It, like you know if when it's imported to india costs like 33 percent of like an indian person's salary per month and that it's not feasibly something you can spend money on right like that's like fun is fun and 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 hobbies i think are a necessity in life but tabletop role-playing games as fun and hobbies are just one way of it, it's just one thing and it doesn't Fun doesn't have to be that. And when it's so inaccessible, people just choose to participate in things that are more readily available. So one of the things we've been working on is making it more accessible, whether it's through, you know, knowledge sharing and, and resource sharing and just like create lowering barriers of entry. And that can just be, hey, you don't have to get buy anything we have the resources so we will run games for you right mm -hmm. like your only investment in this is going to be a stable internet connection and some time right that's all you need to play and that's a much easier sell than you know spending six to eight to ten thousand rupees to get like three books and then finding people to play with and then getting all the supplementary material and that's not a luxury most people can feasibly have so that's, I think, a core element of it. Um, the second thing, I think, is just uh, regional differences, right? Like India is a massive country. Like we've, are, we're now, I think, the most populated country in the world, which is saying a lot. Um, <laughs> but, you know, you travel 30 kilometers or miles or what have you um, and language changes and food changes and cuisine like you know cultures are so 
different across the country. And certain parts of the country are more exposed to Western media and Western like pop culture, right? There are people here in Mumbai, the city I live in, who are like, yeah, I'm a massive Lord of the Rings fan. Of course, I know the Marvel Cinematic Universe and stuff like that. But there are parts of the country where even these things are not accessible. If you don't know what an elf is or what a dwarf is, it's much harder to be like, let's play a game called Dungeons and Dragons. So (laughs) there's a lot of like cultural nuances that need to first be introduced in order for people to actually, you know, enjoy and appreciate a game that is set in like, you know, European high fantasy, right? So a lot of the work we do is just, breaking these barriers down whether it's just social barriers or economical barriers or like you know language barriers things like that and um it's it's a complex issue um i don't think there's like a straightforward one sentence like if we did this it, things would be a lot easier sort of thing but um the the goal is to make it as as um newbie friendly as possible in the context of South Asian cultures. So that's really, I know that's really fascinating because, you know, we as people who work on Dungeons and Dragons are always about lowering those barriers to entry. Even for English speaking people in North America, like there's still Mm -hmm. a level of like, oh, I have to read, you know, three 256 page books in order to play this game. And you're like, no, 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 you don't have to do that. No, you know, and then, but, you know, obviously there's, there's that level. And then all of the other ones that you're mentioning as that are, um, you know, more difficult for uh, people in South Asia because of the language, because of the differences uh, between accessibility and there. Right. So that's why communities like yours are so important because you can give that leg up. You can give that, you know, that hand out to be like, all right, I'll teach you how to play. I'll, you know, I'll, um, you know, because of your experience of, you know, both knowing the the Western tropes and where they come from, as well as uh, uh, the culture that you're in, and you can be that that bridging gap between them so much easier now. Yeah, hundred percent. And like, I I don't want to create the misconception that oh, people here don't know like it, about you know these pop culture references. Like, India is a massive like market for you know these big properties that exist, right? And 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 the people who are a part of our community are often people who come through these resources. It's 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 people who've watched Stranger Things and been like, I want to play D&D. Where do I get started? They are the ones who find us, right? So I reach out. Yeah, exposure to media is what actually prompts people to come to us in the first place. So um, like there's value in having access to just media at large. And most people do like, you know, every almost everybody in India has a smartphone and data is, has gotten very cheap over the years. So it's it's fascinating seeing this sort of like globalization that's been happening here in India over the last two, three decades and how that's impacting the way people consume media and also like participate in media. And like, you know, exposure to TND is just, I think, something that's newer here, but will grow if if like more communities like ours start popping up and and more people are vocally inviting folks into the fold so yeah well you i heard you mention big bad con before and so uh, will you be participating in big bad con this year uh yes i i will be so for whoever's listening and doesn't know big bad con is a tabletop 
convention that happens in um, San Francisco. And it is, in my opinion, the best convention there is because, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, quote me on that. Um, but nice. it, it it is because it's like a very creator-friendly focused convention. It's not necessarily a very consumer focused convention. Um, and it's very small, right? Like, I think last year we had like 500 people come. Um, but one of the key things that Big Bad Con does is that it has a POC programming track. And I am one of the members on the POC leadership team. And the work that we do is basically we find scholars, um, well, we find creators in um, tabletop games and video games who are based out of not just North America, but across the globe, including South Asia, Southeast Asia, Latin America, um, you know, Europe and all of these places and extend scholarships to them so that they can come attend this convention. And the POC programming specifically includes um, a uh, POC meet and greet, which is basically an event where we match industry pros to um, scholars based on their needs. So these pros are people who are looking to hire, who are looking to you know, provide mentorship who are there in very specific roles. And the only reason they're allowed to attend is if they come in with the goal of like working with the people in that room. And the POCs, we talk to um, them about what their goals are, what they want to be doing in the space and match them individually to like, uh, you know, up to five pros who, you know, then go on to like work with these people and and you know the whole point with the event is to like open doors and and sort of like level the playing field a little bit right because like historically people of color have been denied a seat at the table and they've been like we've been denied just opportunity via like lack of access to people who provide opportunities so that's one thing and the other thing we do for the POC programming track is a dinner where it's just people of color who are all breaking bread together and, and sharing stories. And, and like we just having this moment in time where we're all not just talking about our struggles as creators in the industry, but also um, sharing stories of joy and happiness and creating these bonds that like you and I are not you know, competing with each other, we're actually uplifting each other, right? This only works if we lean on each other. Um, and sort of those are the two things that the POC track does. And obviously there's the rest of the convention as well, where we have like a bunch of games running and an indie like, you know, market for where people can go buy indie games and and attend a bunch of talks. And it's, it's a really, really, really incredible convention. And um, I'm proud to, you know, make like play a small role in making it happen. Right. Last year, I found three incredible creators from India and we extended scholarships to them so that they could attend. And now they're working, you know, with a bunch of different companies and people and, you know, just being awesome. And um, it's it's nice to be able to like facilitate that for people. And that's Big Bad Con. It's happening in September this year. Everybody should come. 
lift you up. I love it. It's the, yeah. it's the uh, you know, driving force behind this podcast has been about that. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, we had Aja George and, and Wes Schneider, um, who were the co-leads of Journeys Through the Radiant Citadel. And they said that, that all those events that you were talking about was the connecting yep. point between so many of the creators that worked on that book. Yeah. I mean, first of all, I love Ajit. He is a mentor. And um, I will never say this to his face, but I love him so much. And he is just <laughs> the best person. He and, must never um, know. He must never he know must how we feel know. about him. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I am such a menace to him. Um, <laughs> I'm like a little gremlin and he's just, please leave me alone. It's great. A, le- a um, level 27 menace. Yes, <laughs> correct. So, you know, really annoying. Uh, <laughs> uh but yeah, and and the POC programming track, it's it's Ajit's baby, right? He's the one who sort of forged this program, and he's the one who brought me onto the team to like because he knew that I understood Indian like the Indian sphere better than he did, and better than like other people on the team did. And he was like, "Let's have you on board so we can, you know, get more people into the fold." So, um, yeah, working with him is like one of the more special things I get to experience in this community. I really appreciate him. But yeah, also Wes is great. Um, My God, I, I love Journey Through the Radiant Citadel. It is my favorite D&D book. And um, I am not alone when I say that, but it, 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 it holds a very special place in my heart. Last year at Big Bad Con, I took my copy around and I got all my friends who most of them are writers on this book to sign uh-huh. it. And I was like, everybody leave me a note. And Mario, who Mario Ortegon, who is written for Dragonlance, who's written for Journeys to the Radiant Citadel, he he made a little like a badge in it and he said, Honorary Radiant Citadel fam member. So Aww. it's pretty legit. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. It's like a yearbook. Part of the team. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Truly. Like a yearbook. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Call me this summer. We'll hang out. <laughs> <laughs> Stay sweet. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. I love that. And I love uh, that this September Big Bad Con is uh, you know going to grow even more, I feel like. I feel the momentum that has built up over the last few years is just going to you know uh, keep going and bringing more uh, people to the table. I, I really hope so. I think it's a great opportunity for folks to especially if you're a person of color to attend and 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 get to experience the the programming but also for just anybody who's looking to be a part of truly a creator focused space because um i think those are few and far in between these days and having something like that is is worth protecting so I'm, i feel very strongly about like that. I hope that people who come this year have a great time. In fact, last year Wizards actually sponsored the POC programming. Who yeah. was one of the sponsors of the programming. So, um, thank you, Wizards. Shout out to you guys. <laughs> yeah, and I'm, I'm making plans to try and go this year too because uh, you know, with events and going to conventions, it hasn't been something with the pandemic that I felt was safe. But now I'm like, all right, mm-hmm. I want to do it and uh, and meet so many of the folks that I've only been able to talk to over the interwebs 
hundred percent. If I see you there, I will give you the biggest of high fives or hugs, whatever you're comfortable with. <laughs> and, and and to that end, by the way, last year, like Big Bad Con is actually really, really strict about um COVID precautions. Um, mm-hmm. we had tests on site. Everybody had to wear N95 masks. And in fact, the only person who had COVID got it on their way to Big Bad Con, and after the event, nobody felt sick. Because everybody was just so careful and, and made sure that like not only for themselves, but for each other and for the community, like took all the right precautions. Um, and this year is going to be no different for not, you know, getting loose with any of our um, COVID precautions. So if if we want to make sure that it can be as accessible to people in an environment where, you know, a lot of people with who are immunocompromised or have different disabilities struggle to like be a part of these spaces we're trying our best to like make it as safe as we can for folks who are able to attend yeah it's important it's important right because there's yeah. again there's people from different communities as well as immunocompromised and you don't know you know exactly where those lines are drawn it's just better to be safe i agree yeah 100 percent. all right well we covered everything we covered dice making uh, uh, the amazing things going on at Big Bad Con as well as your community building in um, the Desis and Dragons Discord. So are there any other I things you it. wanted to make sure to point people to? Any links? Anything that we want uh, folks to be aware of? Uh, yes. Um, we For Pride Month, which is coming up next year, next year, wow, next month. Next month. Um, Oof. It will also come up next year, but next month. Um, Desis and <laughs> Dragons is putting together a charity bundle um, um, and it it's gonna have games from a majority of um, queer creators, and um, all the proceeds from that bundle are going to go towards building a um, home for HIV infected children here in India. So it's oh, wow. for a great wow. cause, and you're gonna get some like incredible games, including some from Evil Hat bunch from a bunch of indie creators here in India as well as just across the globe so if that's something you would like to um, be in the loop about please make sure to like come join our community on discord or follow us on social media keep up with like what we get up to so when the bundle does come out you get to grab it and support a really really good cause that's all I really want to plug honestly that's amazing yeah I love it yeah. I love it well, thanks, Johnny. Thanks so much for, for coming on. Thanks for staying up as late as you are. I know. We should of let you course. go to bed now, I guess. Yeah. For you folks, always. <laughs> <laughs> well, get some rest, and uh, I will be talking up your dice for, for, for oh. years to come. It looks gorgeous. I know. I might be commissioning right. some dice. Right? Let's get some Dragon Talk dice. We'll commission it together. Blushing. <laughs> and now your skin well, looks even more beautiful. It's amazing. <laughs> oh yeah, we didn't get to skincare next time. Next time. We'll save it for next time. Dragon talk after hours. <laughs> can that just be one of the epic level spells you can cast where it's like skincare? Oh, yes. It is oh my cast. god. Dewiness. Dewiness. <laughs> oh my god. I will write this. You tell you. Please. From one spellcaster spell. to another. Done. <laughs> thank, thank you. you so much thank you so much Goodbye. Bye. 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 Bye.
Oh, what an amazing uh, just story that Andrani has to tell about how she started role-playing at a young age uh, online <laughs> and how that turned into creating communities. And, and she's still very young. I can do that math. Uh, and <laughs> But like obviously, she has done so much to help support this community and will continue to. I'm sure this is not the last that uh, we'll be talking to her. So that was amazing. I'm Agreed. inspired. And I just love that, uh, you know, for all of the angrifying things that happen on the internet, um, having online communities and having them available to more people um, just allows the spread of, you know, things like Dungeons and Dragons and things like uh, uh, gaming communities that uh, could not have spread as easily before. Um, right? So, yeah. And I more creators, more content creators, more game designers, more dice makers, just more people who become inspired in those communities to keep contributing to it. So, yeah. It, and then more people are going to discover their work and see themselves represented in that work. And the community just keeps growing and growing and growing. It's or a so we hope. Loop. It's, yes. It's amazing. And I am uh, here to support and make it all lifted up through the, our voices on this year podcast. So thank you all for um, being a part of that and listening in. Yeah. If you would like to get more people to know about all the great things that is happening in the Dungeons & Dragons community worldwide, the best way to do that is to like and subscribe. <laughs> and Smash write a review. that like button. Spread the word about Dragon Talk wherever you can within your community um, and uh, elevate the creators that we speak to as much as you can because I think that, again, it's just a, a nice way to pay it forward. I agree. And it's a very D&D thing to do. That's right. You're bringing the folks in from all different backgrounds. The sailor background to the lore master subclass. I was going to say the lore master. <laughs> <laughs> that just won't go away. I love it. All right. Uh, you can follow me. I'm at Greg Tito on various social medias. You can check out my website, gregtito.com. There's a lot of uh, info on there on my projects and what's going out there. And Shelly, what about you? I am Shelly Moo on Twitter and Instagram. And you can visit my website, shellymazanoble.com. I'm telling you right now, it's not updated yet. And I have to finish I can only do so much, okay? I have to finish a project by a deadline that is looming. But after that deadline passes, I'm going to go back to that website. So Make it so. Just make it so. So just, right? you know, hang out there and, and look at all the, the backlog of content until I, I get around to giving you a new post. You've got like 10, 15 years worth of content. Oh my God, there's so much. There's so yeah. much. If you ever wanted, we're curious about what young Shelly was doing in 2007. You can probably find a post that'll tell you. <laughs> before the, the internet was even born <laughs> I invented you it <laughs> you bored the internet you you were the mother the, mm -hmm. who, who made it all happen I agree mm -hmm. um, as we also now continue with the story of Drunky Two Shoes also the mother of Drunky Two Shoes yeah, the mother of Drunky was that's what happened. I was, that was the weird segue I was going for in my head. I don't know if I I, I, I again I picked up what you were putting down. So uh Drunky has her 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 cohort of uh like-minded tabaxis and Samson, uh <laughs> who is headed to Monivarsha 
And uh, this is a world that is connected to the Radiant Citadel. Uh, you have gone into the um, crystalline structure and transported yourself to this new land. The door opens and you are inside uh, or outside a uh, very lush green uh, jungle landscape. There are mountains far to the north. Uh, you see them, they're very large. They almost remind you of Mount Rainier and the Olympic Mountains around us here in Seattle, but you can wow. definitely see them. They're a prominent thing. And then before that, you see a uh, large, wide landscape of um, uh, trees and uh, pathways that uh, once that gets closer to your location here, you realize are uh, rivers and streams. Uh, the waterways are uh, numerous in this area. And uh, you see uh, more closer to you, uh, several um, uh, humans. They have uh, uh, you know very tan skin, very dark skin, black hair. Um, some of them are wearing uh, leather armor. Um, that is or adorned with uh, turquoise and jade and different stones um, to have a uh, protective layer over uh, that uh, fur and rope. And they uh, say, uh, they hail you and they say, welcome to Moni Varsha. <gasps> oh, thank you. It's so lovely to be here. Uh, Drunky does sort of an awkward little like bow. In return. You are uh, very welcome. Uh, please, uh, you must enter here and uh, pay the gods, uh, the riverines who are here, uh, with a offering. Oh, that again. <laughs> okay. Uh, I look to my adventuring party and like, mm, anyone got anything? Jonathan says, I don't, I, I think they just want you to pay respect, maybe? I'm not sure. Uh, Drunky turns around and says, I offer you immense respect. <laughs> <laughs> Me, personally? Well, I appreciate you. Thank you. Yes, all of you. Much respect, much um, roll me a persuasion check. Oh boy. Uh, as you, uh, make this be known. Okay, I'm persuasive. Eighteen. Eighteen. Um, uh, the guard says, yes, uh, the wonderful respect is received, and he bows to you, kind of mimicking the way that you had bowed to him. Uh, <laughs> your culture here is, uh, extremely important, uh, welcome into the city, and he uh, gestures uh, for you to participate. Uh, there are you have come on a perfect day, for there is a competition that is about to begin. Would you like to uh, view it? You may do so. It is happening, and you, as he says that, you start to hear like cheering and crowd uh, uh, happening um, in a coliseum not too far away from here. Yes, let's go. We'd love to. All right, you make your way into the city, and then all of a sudden, this this mass of of uh, uh, people are, are are treading towards that one uh, location. And it looks like there's excitement. So there's kids eating, uh, you know, what looks like maybe a turkey leg, but it's Ugh. probably some other kind of creature. Um, yeah, it's it's just definitely got like a fairground, uh, you know, athletic event atmosphere. I feel uneasy for some reason, but I don't know why. <laughs> All right. We shall pick it up next time with that uneasy feeling. Okay. I hope they have a bar here. 
<laughs> yeah, that's actually we'll start that next time with you trying to find <laughs> trying to find the uh the, bar. the, the liquor immediately. Mm-hmm.